We welcome you. It's good to be with you again. Thank you for watching. Uh, before we get into the sermon, I do want you to know that we consider you a viable part of our congregation. Uh, we don't take the people who are in person as uh, the Real Hope Church. Uh, we see you as a viable part of who we are in our ministry. And we know that there are people from other states, even even places all over the continent that are watching this on a regular basis. And uh, we're grateful. Uh, thank you for investing in us. Some of you uh, who have just picked up with us um, on our Facebook premiere and watch us on a regular basis, you're, you're blessing us financially. Uh, we just, we're looking at new ways, inventing new ways for us to be able to communicate to you, minister to you, help you navigate through all that we're going through right now. I just want to say it's good to see you. Uh, you want to find the scripture, Exodus 14, 21, and 22 today. And also, uh, we want you to prep for communion. Uh, and then at any time, you can put this on pause, go get it taken care of. And when we finish today, lead your family or your group or your gathering, wherever you are, lead them in a time of remembering what the Lord has done for us, his body given, his blood shed. So uh, Exodus 14, 21 and 22 says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back, drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. That will be very important in a moment. All, all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you help me to be a, a plain preacher, so plain that a child would understand me. I ask, Lord, that you help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit. Any word of knowledge that you give to me in your sovereignty and your providence uh, to our listening and watching audience, Lord, if you prompt me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it, knowing it will land where you deliver it. And then, Lord, uh, you will remind me out of everybody watching and listening that I am the one that's under a greater judgment, a more strict judgment, because I'm a teacher of your word, and I accept my place in rightly dividing it. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. Go back to principle number seven. We envision God's enveloping presence around us. It's what we handled last time. Today is principle number eight. Trust God to deliver in his own unique way. In Exodus 14, 21, it says that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Let's just handle that part before we go any further. Did God have to use Moses is a great question to ask. He didn't, but he chose to. And that's still what he does today. God chooses to use us. That is his plan. Didn't have to be, doesn't have to be, but it is his plan to use us. I go to, uh, in the New Testament, in a reference to Elijah, it said Elijah was able to really just turn off the rain, the skies, but he's described as an ordinary man that God used. So uh, God choosing to use us, his people, doesn't have to, but decides to, and Moses right here is one of many examples that scripture gives us that God chooses to be able to use us. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. When that happened, it said the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. Um, 
and it, it blew all night and turned the sea into dry land. I, I want to talk to you about the east wind for a moment. I, uh, when I read scripture sometimes, I get into the begates. You know, at the beginning it says so-and-so begates so-and-so, and there's just these lists, pages of names. And I don't know, sometimes I skip over that. I don't know about you. Uh, and my son Andrew reminded me one time, Dad, there's a story behind every name that is mentioned. And that's true. So we need to look a little bit more detailed in description and even into scripture. It said the, 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 the mentioning here is that it is an east wind. Why didn't they just say a wind? Why an east wind? Uh, the use of an east wind is, is powerful. It's, it's known as a powerful wind. Uh, it's destructive in this location geographically. It blows over the desert so that when it comes in, it, it comes in as in, in Jonah. It's used in Jonah. The east wind is a scorching wind because it brings all that heat from the desert. It's, it's listed as a punishing wind. Um, even in Exodus 10, 13, uh, a verse that I'm going to give you, it says, Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord sent an east wind over the land all that day and through the night. Uh, by the morning, the east wind had brought in all the locusts as one of the plagues. So it was, it was viewed as, a, as a, a, a very strong, powerful wind, mainly because of everything that it brought with us. Now, I'm not one for props. I'm just going to tell you, I'm really not. And I'm, I'm not against people that use them. I'm just not good at it. And I'm really not good at asking people to do stuff either. I'm horrible at that. Um, like I could say, could y'all build me these props for my sermon? I'm just really bad. I know I've got people to do it. I'm just really bad about asking. So in a very elementary juvenile way, one that will probably make you laugh. And if I make you laugh today, good. Uh, it's hard to laugh during this pandemic. So maybe this is a help to you. So I'm going to set up some props just for a moment. And one of the first things I'm going to set up is I've used a chair. Hang on just a moment. I've used a chair, and this chair represents mountains, okay? Represents mountains. And on this mountain... Uh, we have listings here. Baal Zephon. I was raised saying Baal, but it's really Baal Zephon. And then Typhon. And these are these are gods that are located on the mountains where we are. Now, uh, don't don't get Tyra in with these demonic gods. She's a woman god. Okay, so don't don't get that don't get that worked in there. Don't even read into that, whatever you want to, all right? So I'm glad she's placed where she is. She can smack them around a little bit, I guess. So uh, here, here they are listed on the So these are the mountains. You watching are the Egyptian army. Sorry, but just play that role for a moment, okay? You're the Egyptian army. You're, you're coming after me, and there's this little area of land around the mountains. Now, hang on. We've got to head the Red Sea. This is just one of my creative things uh, I'm gonna use. I've got a mason jar up here and I drink out of mason jars every day. Wide mouth, wide mouth mason jars, which would match being a preacher, right? Wide mouth preacher, I hope you get that. But I have a mason jar up here and uh, I use this uh, Mio uh, all the time. I use it all the time at home. And uh, so here we go. 
we got the Red Sea. How you like that? Okay? So we've got the mountains here. You're the Egyptian army. And then Tyra's got on a red shirt. And there is the Red Sea. And so this area right here is where we're going to cross. Mountains are here. And you're the Egyptian army. I hope that you have the picture in this. The Lord is getting ready to show the Egyptians, the Israelites, Moses, us, and even an unseen world, his power. And that's right, I said an unseen world uh, with these winds, this east wind that he's bringing. So let's remember where he had them camp. Back in the early beginning of Exodus 14, he had them to camp in the land of Pahihirot. Uh, Migdal, which is a, there's towers there. S some of those towers are to these gods here. And then there is Baal Zephon, which is a, an area, a mountain range, which we have listed here. Talk about that in a moment. And remember, God had them go there. It was intentional and very strategic. And from our viewpoint and theirs, it looks like they're trapped. It looks like that God has led them right smack dab into a trap. Now, so you have the mountains here. You got the sea where we're going to cross right here. And in this, uh, let's talk about Baal Zephon for just a moment. He's, he's referred to as the Lord of the North. He's also referred to as a God over the sea and storms. And he's a Canaanite Egyptian God and a mountain god, and so he's high on the mountain overlooking the sea, and if they appease him, if they worship Baal Zephon, then he's gonna give them safe travel, he's gonna eliminate the storms, he's gonna help them out in their navigation and their travel on the seas. So I want you to see the strategy of that. Now, we also have a Greek mythology God, demonic God, that's referred to as Typhon. And if you're thinking already ahead of me, this is where we get the word typhoon. We get the word typhoon from here. He is, a, in Greek mythology, he is a monstrous demon that you must appease. He is the God of storms and winds. So if they're going to travel on the sea, then they've got to appease these gods. Uh, I told you earlier that the Lord is going to show the Egyptians, the Israelites, Moses, even us as we read about it, but even an unseen world, what's going to happen. And the, the Lord wants, wants, wants a world that we live in to know of his power, but he also wants a world that we can't see to know his power as well. You think these gods have control over the sea and the wind? Do you think they have that? I, I hear in this story God saying, watch this. I, I hear he's not only saying to the Egyptians, I'm going to use you and I'm going to trap you. We think the Israelites are being trapped. Really, the Egyptians are being trapped. He's going to provide a way for Israel. He's going to do that. Our point of view, Israel's trap. God's point of view, Egypt's trap. And in that, he's going to show them. He's going to send in an east wind, 
And what he does with that east wind is going to put to shame what people think these two gods can do with any kind of wind. I, I believe there is a segment of our God that says to these demonic gods, watch this. In fact, while you're at home, why don't you just say it with me? You ready? One, two, three, watch this. He brings in this incredible wind that he goes, if you think they can control the wind, look what I do. This wind blows all night long and it dries up the land. It, uh, I, I grew up on the farm and I know ponds. We have breached dams on ponds and, and uh, let the water out and then tried to walk in them and just become mired up and actually had tractors have to pull people out because of, of the depth of the mud, even in a shallow pond. Uh, we believe it is a deep sea, not a shallow part of the sea. And it is a deep sea because when they describe the walls here in these two verses, they are talking about walls that they use words to describe the height and the depth of a city wall, not just a little old fenced-in wall. So the waters were divided. They were walls. They were deep water walls, not shallow, the size of a city wall. We want you to be able to see that. So we go to uh, Exodus 14, 22. It says, And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall. There's that word again, big city wall, on the left, on the right, and then also on their left. God is moving his people forward. We thought they were trapped. If we just look at where they're encamped, they thought they were trapped because of where they were encamped. And God is moving them forward. God made a way where there seems to be no way. In verse 22, it's just move forward. What an incredible display of God's power. If you're reading the book Red Sea Rules, the author asks some really good questions that I have to incorporate in my sermon. He said, does he, God, deliver us from financial woes? Are we seen trapped? Marital problems, emotional confusion. Uh, we have to watch that one because our feelings and our emotions, they absolutely can fool us. He asked, can God deliver us from harm and danger, from self-destructive habits, from disease? And the answer is, yes, he can. But you and I have to understand something. This may seem a bit difficult for me to preach, it also may be uh, difficult for you to hear, but we have to obtain God's perspective of deliverance instead of our own. Uh, you can have your view of deliverance, I can have my view of deliverance, but we have to capture God's view of, de of deliverance. And his view isn't always like ours. Look at Isaiah 55, eight. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. I have to read that sometimes so that I don't think I get to thinking like God. Philippians says, have the mind of Christ, but my thoughts aren't his. We're not the same. I, I try hard to capture his but it doesn't mean that my human thoughts are compared to his. Jeremiah 33.3, 3. this is one I use a lot. 
says, call to me and I will answer you, tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. He says, call. He gives the promise to answer, but you got to realize this. His answer is going to be on his terms, according to his view. That's where we hit the wall. We want it to be necessarily in ours. When you and I look at deliverance, we have to take out the emotional reaction, how I feel about it. My human standards of, well, this is what we should do for all humankind. And even common sense, which we say our generation right now and our culture right now relatively lacks. We have to take emotion, our human standards, our common sense, and we have to trade it for biblical truth. We have to turn it in. You need to understand from God's perspective of deliverance, there is no one-size-fits-all method or solution. There's not always this one cookie-cutter response or reaction that he gives us. Every situation is unique, special, even personal. For example, God only used a burning bush with Moses. He didn't use it with anybody else. I can tell you stuff that he used with his call on my life. It doesn't mean he's done it with everybody else. Uh, he does it personally, unique, and special. So uh, does he still do miracles? The answer is yes, but it's when he chooses. And it's for very specific reasons. He wants to show his power and he wants to get his glory, that he is weighty enough, heavy enough to be able to handle these things. So miracles, mysterious deliverances, providential or sovereign deliverance is not always standard operating procedure. For those of you in the military, you know it is SOP. Ordinary, ordinary, and sometimes extraordinary responses. He has natural and sometimes supernatural responses. He does them all. Ordinary, extraordinary, natural, and even supernatural. He does all of them. I want to use 2 Timothy 4.18 with you for a moment. And I want to give you a challenge to, uh, to read chapter 4, or just even read all of it. 2 Timothy, especially chapter 4. We know that uh, uh, it, it sounds like Paul's life is going to be shortened, and it is. And he's bringing things into, uh, in, into comparison in verse uh, 2 Timothy 4.18, look what he writes. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Uh, to him be glory forever and ever. Paul dies a few days after he writes this. Um, you and I can have a picture that deliverance only happens here. And then for those of you who have a picture that deliverance only happens here, well, absolutely uh, look in a contradiction for any of us who think that going on into heaven is actual deliverance. If we're not careful, we're going, no, no, no. God's act of deliverance here is first, and then taking him home or person home is second. Uh, we can't look at it. It's still all looked at and not categories of one and two, but it is the fact that he does deliver. And here, he, he didn't, he was executed. Paul was executed, beheaded. 
and uh, a few days after he writes this. Uh, so he sees the Lord had delivered him from pain and worries and stress and sin and prison and Satan and everything else. Was he delivered? Yeah. But he was delivered how? But Well, death delivered him in this situation. It delivered him. I was a young pastor, moved into a new church field. I uh, was going to visit some of the people who were homebound, shut in. And uh, the first time I met this lady, she was in a hospital bed in her living room in f and near a picture window, a big old picture window in the front of the house. First time I ever met her. She had cancer and basically terminal cancer. She was going to die at home. She was healed. A lot of cancer on her body that came back. There's none. She's in her 80s. And uh, this lady was in incredible. Uh, she even in up in her 80s after she was healed uh, she even went deer hunting again I'm, I mean it's unbelievable you just have to know this lady um, and I could say why in my human situation my emotional situation and even also with common sense why would you heal somebody that age well I, I don't know I don't know why we, he would be able to do that but he did that and I have to leave that with him. Now, many years later, I can compare Tom's death, my son-in-law, whom we call our son-in-love, who died at the age of 31. I can say, God, in my common sense, my human situation, and also my emotional attachment to Tom as my son, I could go, I don't understand why you allow a 31-year-old to die but yet, many years later, you heal a lady well in her 80s of cancer. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. But God, remember, we have to have deliverance as best we can from his perspective, not from ours. And we'll put our emotion, our human situation, and even the fact of common sense and think that's the way God works. Let me tell you something. He could have picked a much better preacher than me. And I'm not saying that so that you'll give me gift cards. Well, maybe a little. I might be saying that a little. But the truth of it is, I believe he could have picked several people that are much better than me. But for some strange reason, he did call me. He did call me. It doesn't make sense to me. There's a lot of other people I could tag and pick and say, God, this is who you should have chosen. So it, it doesn't, God's deliverance doesn't have to match my emotional response. God's deliverance doesn't have to match my human situation. And God's deliverance doesn't have to match what I think is good common sense. His, his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. I have to understand that. I can't say that it isn't deliverance if it doesn't happen my way. And I can't say it isn't deliverance if it doesn't happen here. I, fu I fully believe, well-armed in argument, that, Tom that the Lord delivered my son-in-law, Tom. Lots of pain, lots of things going on. And I we, I, we believe that God delivered him in that day. Vance Havner was a great preacher. We, we, we looked at him as the king of one-liners. And here's something that he wrote. Uh, in, in his writing, he said, all question marks will be straightened 
into exclamation points. Sorrow will change to singing and pain will be lost in praise. That that's what God does. I love the picture of question marks being straightened to exclamation points. John 13, 7 is a verse that I want to leave you with today. It is a foot washing is going on. The Lord is washing the feet of the disciples. And he's coming into Simon Peter and Simon has his statement about that. And uh, Jesus, it says in, in John 13, 7, Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, but afterward, you will know. I just want you to know I've adopted this phrase. It matches what Paul says that now we only know in part, but one day we will fully know what I am doing. You don't understand now, but afterward you will know. Does he still deliver? You betcha he delivers in his own unique way, his personal way, his special way. He delivers in ordinary and extraordinary ways, in natural and supernatural ways. In the story of what's happening here, of them crossing the Red Sea, our God will make a way. And for his people, he made it in a unique and a very special, special way. Thanks for being a part of today. I hope you were challenged. And remember what we always say, grace and peace.